0: To whom it may concern, this is to inform you as of September 12, 1983, I've accepted a position of employment with an out-of-state firm.
3: Therefore, September 24, 1983. Anthony Trigona, TIP staff for Cambria County Judge Joseph Okiki, is penning his resignation letter to the county commissioners. Trigona would later say that he resigned because, a month earlier, Okiki asked him to help move a bed outside of his home. Okiki's first wife came outside crying. Trigona claimed that he had no idea Okiki was having marital problems, but said that this was the last straw for him. As mutual friends of the couple, he could no longer work for the judge. Trigona's rift with Okiki would have long-term ramifications for the judge. That's because, five years later, Tregona would be granted an order of immunity by Levy Anderson, supervising judge for the sixth statewide investigating grand jury. Judge Anderson was giving Tregona a free pass for any crimes he may have committed in exchange for testimony that could lead to O'Keefe's conviction.
0: Yours truly, Anthony S. Tregona.
3: Welcome back to Jailing the Judge. March 31, 1989, state police filed a total of 76 charges against Joseph Okiki. Many of the offenses dated back to 1976, more than a decade before Okiki's indictment. The suspended President Judge of Cambria County immediately posted the money to satisfy the $10,000 bail and began crafting his defense with the help of Edward Glass, his attorney. Before hiring Glass, Okiki first consulted with an old acquaintance, Cambria County's current President Judge, Norman A. Krumenacher III.
2: The thing that everybody ran into in representing uh, Joe was he had his conspiratorial theory about this whole thing. You know, he was the victim of a conspiracy. The only problem was the evidence was rather overwhelming. And I, in respect to my profession, I cannot tell you what our legal advice was to him at the time, even though he's passed. But it was clear that our advice of how to proceed was inconsistent with his desires.
3: Walt Komorosky, a trooper with the State Police White Collar Crime Unit, said that he used a variety of methods to build a strong case against Okiki.
0: When you when you have an allegation, like this particular fellow, um, you say to yourself, now how do I prove that? How do I prove that happened? It's his word against his word, And so he said, he said, situation. Well, the only thing you can do is to try to capture conversation. Okay. We were unsuccessful. Uh, we had, uh, wired this fellow up. We got a court approval to do that. Uh, we were observing, uh, a confrontation, uh, that occurred outside the courthouse, uh, from a van, uh, but, and he, he almost said the magic words, but he finally said, "Get away from me, old man," and walked away. And that—that's what you need. That's—that's that's the only way to prove that. Yeah. Is to get a conversa- capture a conversation about it.
3: Others weren't convinced. Westmont native Neil Price was a practicing attorney who'd met the judge, oddly enough, at a forum on the JFK assassination held at the University of Pittsburgh in Johnstown in the late 1970s. Price would later assist the judge in his legal defense. He said the Commonwealth's case seemed thin from the outset. Price described the investigators' illegal gambling suspicions as a false pretext.
4: You know, um, it's peculiar that the, the police would rely on that as being their linchpin to start a, a, a grand jury.
3: According to Price, Okiki was suspected in part by police because he had dismissed illegal gambling charges against several individuals earlier that decade.
4: You know, bring your evidence to court and we'll work with what you got. But if you don't have enough you uh, Shouldn't be getting warrants. The police, or I mean, the judges shouldn't be rubber stamps for this sort of thing. Especially if they consider the gambling problem so bad in uh, this part of Pennsylvania that they would uh, decide to hit the, uh, you know, call it uh, worthy of a grand, a statewide grand jury.
3: Chosen to preside over the case was Delaware County Senior Judge Melvin Levy, who also did not appear to be impressed by many of the prosecution's claims. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, 40 of the 76 charges against Okiki were withdrawn within two months of his indictment. Another six were dismissed outright. Lawrence Klaus was prosecuting the case on behalf of the Commonwealth. Klaus's career would be defined by several high-profile cases, including the successful conviction of state Supreme Court Justice Joan Ori Melvin in 2013. Despite the early dismissal of charges in the Okiki case, Klaus told us during a telephone interview that he was not discouraged.
4: That's not an unusual. In fact, uh, this particular case, I I have not had uh, in front of me the original presentment, but it sticks in my mind there may have been as many as 76 counts that were handed on by the grand jury. And when you go to the first stage of a criminal prosecution, which is the preliminary hearing, a district magistrate judge, or in this case, a judge from the Court of Common Pleas, who is specially appointed by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, has the responsibility to determine if there is enough for uh, a case or cases to go forward. So it's not actually that unusual to find some cases or some counts being dismissed. I think the best way to look at it is sometimes uh, the issuing authority handling the preliminary hearing, look towards streamlining a case, uh, moving things to where the more serious charges uh, can proceed unhampered. We did lose, I believe there were six counts that were thrown out of the preliminary hearing, and I do remember there's probably another uh, group of uh, charges that we withdrew so that we would have a much more streamlined case to go to trial. And to my knowledge, there were roughly 30 cases or 30 counts that uh, ultimately went uh, to either trial in the first trial or were scheduled to go in a second series of uh, cases, uh, but never happened because of the circumstance of taking uh, fleeing the jurisdiction.
3: But in July of 1989 came what some believe to be the turning point in this case. That's when presiding judge Melvin Levy abruptly recused himself. Sylvia Newsick, Okiki's widow, said this changed the ball game.
1: Judge Abood was appointed acting president judge, and he put in a request for an outside judge come and hear the the preliminary, you know, objections and the and take care of the introductory parts of the trial. And we didn't know Judge Levy at all. Um, but when he came on the bench, he had a presence. He was really a professional jurist and during the preliminary hearing um, he had several law clerks working for him and he would tell the law clerk get me this get me that they would go in the law library and bring books he had law books piled up on his desk he was checking uh, different cases and the outcomes and he was very professional I, I told Joe I said no matter what happens I'm very happy with Judge Levy he seems to be a true jurist and not a political tool of somebody
3: Levy's decision came at the behest of the prosecution. At first, the AG's office made a pretrial motion urging him to recuse himself because he had a busy schedule. Levy ignored this request. Next, the prosecution presented a pretrial motion stating that Levy had made prejudicial statements regarding the case. It also accused Levy of using his judicial letterhead on correspondence related to his own personal matters, one of the very same acts that led to charges against Okiki. Essentially, Levy was threatened with prosecution if he didn't step down. This later became the focal point of an episode of Inside Edition hosted by Bill O'Reilly of Fox News fame. The following is an excerpt of that Inside Edition broadcast questioning whether Attorney General Ernie Priate had pressured Judge Levy to step down when he began dismissing charges against Okiki. The broadcast is narrated by Rick Kirkham.
5: But many people in Johnstown now question the facts and the evidence. The questions begin with why the original judge over Okiki's case was pressured off by the Attorney General. That pressure came in the form of two pre-typed motions Judge Levy was presented with by state police shortly after he dismissed many of Okiki's charges. The first motion suggested Judge Levy couldn't go on because of his own crowded court schedule. When Levy refused to sign that motion, state agents presented him with a more serious motion. This one threatened an investigation against Judge Levy for some of the same crimes Okiki had been charged with. Judge Levy promptly stepped down. Inside Edition asked the Pennsylvania Attorney General about Judge Levy's removal. Ernest the AG, at first denied that his office had ever pressured Levy. No, the, the judge uh, recused himself from the case. There was a pre-trial conference scheduled by the judge after the preliminary hearing before the trial. And that's normal. But the judge would have stepped down prior to his preliminary hearing decisions had he had felt that he was not the appropriate judge to preside over this. Well, the state agents presented him with the idea that he should step down. Is that not correct? Well, that was based on some comments the judge had made uh, during the preliminary hearing. uh, But the state did suggest the judge step down. Is that correct? We suggested it to him. That's our obligation.
3: We asked Defense Attorney Tim Burns of Johnstown to review the pretrial motions that led to Judge Levy's recusal. Burns, who would have been in high school at the time of the Okiki trial, was vaguely familiar with the case. To be blunt, most people on the street, if you ask them
2: today, and this is no disrespect to our current judges, but most people don't know who could name one judge. 30 years ago, you say Judge Okiki, everyone in Cambria County could say who Judge Okiki was. Um, When you go to trial, you want a jury pool that's reflective of your local community, plus is non-biased, is objective, has no knowledge of of the proceedings or if they do they won't um, um, hold that against the person. I feel it would would be it was a no-brainer that there should have been an out-of-county jury
3: period. After reviewing the pre-trial motions from the attorney general's office, Burns said he was a little bothered by the prosecution's behavior. Looking back on it, I mean I
2: wasn't a part of those proceedings. I mean I was just in junior high and high school but in regards to Judge Levy, um I really don't feel he committed any acts or anything that would have warranted a recusal. Um, there's in the legal profession, judges are like people. You got some judges that are very straight-laced, some are a little bit outgoing, gregarious, maybe the word, and that's what I picture Judge Levy being is the type of judge that's, you know, maybe jokes or maybe a little outgoing. Um the, the attorney general was upset that he made a comment um, in chambers, that means in the judge's office, that all you need is one conviction to get Judge Okiki removed from the bench. I don't feel that was out of line or showing a bias. It was, it was a fact. That's all you needed was one conviction. They filed so dozens of charges against them. Um, I, I think the attorney general at the time, the prosecuting attorneys were probably just very sensitive um,
3: to the seriousness of the matter. They wanted to get a conviction. In reference to Levy's recusal, Klaus maintains that this was the appropriate action.
4: The main reason that uh, these matters were brought up to, uh, uh, to that judge, Judge Levy, and uh, uh, to be quite honest with you, I uh, think that he was out of Delaware County, and I remember going down to Delaware County uh, with the state police and bringing this subject up. Through Judge Lee, of course, in the presence of Defense counsel, and uh, pointed out that we had heard from not just state police, but other law enforcement that uh, comments may have been made by the judge that made it appear as if he had uh, uh, prejudged certain parts of the case. And what we were asking was either he'd consider uh, refusing himself, or you know, if necessary, we would ask for a hearing. Well, he uh, recused himself, and then the Pennsylvania Supreme Court then appointed Judge Richard Griffo from Northampton County.
3: Stepping in for Levy was Northampton County Judge Richard Griffo. That summer, he reviewed the pretrial motions from Okiki's team, stating that Klaus and the prosecution had lacked jurisdiction to impanel a statewide grand jury. Their contention was that the statewide grand juries could be impaneled only when there was evidence of a multi-county crime conspiracy. But according to Klaus, the argument that the grand jury was improperly impaneled was a faulty one.
4: Uh, Well, that's uh, one of the things that can be done, but uh, very early on under the Jury Act, and when I say new, that would have been uh, taking effect in the early 1980s. Uh, grand juries uh, had that argument made against them by defense uh, counsel representing people who were uh, presented upon. We don't use the term indictment at that time. An investigative grand jury is not a presentment. Uh, but at that time, uh, that was one of the arguments that the uh, defense counsel would make. And early on, the court said no, under the Grand Jury Act and under the rules of criminal procedure for grand juries, uh, it doesn't, it's not limited to organized crime. And a county, for example, that just didn't have the financial wherewithal to, uh, put into effect a grand jury could bring their cases to the Attorney General. And that happened quite frequently, uh, I know personally during my 15 years of tenure there.
3: To counter the defense's pretrial motion, Klaus filed a brief in September of 1989 that would grab front page headlines. In this brief, the Attorney General's office alleged that Okiki was giving some business to prostitutes. To quote, State police disclosed to the Attorney General's office that defendant Okiki, while a judge,
2: visited an establishment where acts of prostitution allegedly occurred and it was reported that the said judge participated in activities with women who worked there. Further, it was alleged that the same
3: location had been identified as a place in which illegal drugs, including cocaine and marijuana, were sold. These claims would be aggressively challenged by Okiki's attorney. The defense would taunt the prosecution to bring forward the evidence of these brothel visits – evidence that didn't surface. Later, Okiki, with the help of attorney Neil Price, obtained an affidavit from the groundskeeper of the infamous Rachel's House of Prostitution in Johnstown. Rachel's groundskeeper said he was familiar with who Okiki was, but never saw him at the establishment. Onusuk pointed out that Okiki was never charged in relation to the alleged gambling, racketeering, or brothel visits.
1: And there were no charges against Okiki in relation to gambling. So in order to secure a grand jury, the cops, the police have to write a statement of probable cause. And then the statement of probable cause, which we got mu- much later, they indicated gambling, prostitution, racketeering, insurance fraud. Yet there was not one charge in Okiki's presentment or in any of the proceedings on any of these charges. So our attorneys disputed this um, in proper impanelment of of the grand jury to investigate Okiki but they said oh we came across it just by chance or, meanwhile it was very deliberate people were getting subpoenas and so on very early on
3: nonetheless judge Griffo dismissed the objections regarding the lack of jurisdiction the case proceeded to trial jury selection began in the fall of 1989 and this became another point of contention okiki's new attorneys Jim Yelovich and Richard Galloway, argued that an in-county jury would be biased against the judge because of all of the pre-trial publicity. We reached out to Yelovich, a Somerset attorney who was part of O'Keefe's defense team. He told us through his secretary that he did not want to participate in the discussion. In addition, we contacted the law office of attorney Galloway in Greensburg. Galloway did not return a phone call after we left a voicemail seeking an interview. Burns, however, remembered some of the pre-trial publicity pretty vividly. He recalled an Okiki Lookalike contest sponsored by the Johnstown Chiefs hockey team, and also a parody song of Hey Mickey by a local radio station.
4: Oh, Kiki, what a pity you might be a slime. They say you broke some law, so you might be doing time.
2: When you have a song making fun of the person that people, you know, in the streets of Johnstown or everywhere are singing, um, they even had a, I don't know if it was the radio station, but I know it was at a Chiefs game, a Judge Okiki look-alike contest. I mean, we can laugh about it, but it shows you how tainted the word that your jury pool would be. Sure. Um, So there should have been a jury from out of the county. Now, I I will say this, and judges have reminded me of this when I raise um, issues on appeal. Did Judge Okiki get a fair trial? You know, it's hard for me to say that. Um, And the reason is he wasn't convicted on all counts. So that means the jury did talk about it you know they didn't go in there half hour later boom um he's guilty so um do i feel the jury pool was appropriate no but at the same time it's hard for me to say he didn't get
3: a heart fair trial since they did the the debate ultimately the prosecution brought forward a total of 10 charges these included an allegation from tony trigona Kiki's former tip staff trigona said the judge had arranged for kickbacks from a convicted cocaine trafficker named frank j Romani in exchange for a favorable ruling in a strip-mining dispute involving one of Romani's companies. And on December 16th, 1989, after nearly 17 hours of deliberation, A jury found Okiki guilty on six of those ten charges, He was convicted of bribery, corruption, and official oppression, and found not guilty of open lewdness. Tregona's claims regarding the strip mining kickbacks were also rejected by members of the jury. According to the morning call, even the jury's findings were not without drama of their own. One of the jurors, when asked to state his verdicts, said not guilty on some of the counts that the jury foreman said were unanimous. This led the defense to argue for a mistrial. Burns said this was a wild and unusual twist to the proceedings. The jury was not unanimous, and a criminal trial had to be
2: unanimous, but the second judge more or less bypassed that. Right. I mean, if if the jury was not unanimous, it should have been a mistrial or new trial. Right. So that really surprised me that that there's a, there's allegations made that it wasn't a unanimous Verdict. Klaus,
3: unsurprisingly, disagreed with the mistrial argument. He noted that the form verdict slipped, and the verdict slips filled out by each juror were identical. This, he said, was evidence that the decisions were unanimous, Judge Griffo agreed. And so Okiki was cooked. The man sworn in as the county's president judge less than two years prior was now a convict. He awaited his jail sentence, a maximum of 26 years, and would be stripped of his $80,000 a year salary and pension. Strangely enough, Okiki would never serve even a day in jail, and earns pre-8 the attorney general whose office prosecuted the judge would end up spending a year in federal prison. We'll explain this ironic twist in the next episode of Jailing the Judge. Next time on Jailing the Judge. We thought uh,
0: by taking his uh, United States passport from him uh, that we we were guaranteed his presence at the second trial, but nope. And I said, now can you explain to me how you got out of the country? Since you had to forfeit your American passport. And he says, I'm not an American.
1: He went to Canada, he flew to Germany, he rented a car, and he drove down to Slovenia.
0: Someday, somehow, somewhere, I'll be back in Cambridge County.
3: Jailing the Judge is hosted and written by me, Bruce Sewey. Reporting conducted by me and Eric Keita. Produced by Keita and Michelle Ganassi. The show is scored by Billy O'Shea with the theme music, The Party After the Show, provided by the crew of The Half Moon. Graphic design by Rick Kasmer. Special thanks to Brian Whipke and the team at Gannett. This podcast is a product of Our Town and The Daily American. For online extras, visit dailyamerican.com.